Hello, everyone. Welcome to Seat Go Create. Tim Winters here, your host. You know, there's a couple of things that parents typically struggle with when they communicate with their children. One of those is sex, where do babies come from? The other is money. Today, we're not going to go into the sex and where babies come from. That's not what we're going to cover here. We're going to talk about money and how it relates to financial literacy in children. You know, we, we actually here with redefining success, I've noticed that the topic of money is one of the biggest challenges that people have. So today with our guests, we're going to dive deep into it. I'll get to the guest in just a moment. I want to say something. I'm a little bit off, so we're going to have fun today. My wife and I are in the Atlanta area. We're uh, here helping out with my mother-in-law, who's recently come out of a rehab facility uh, for some health issues. And so I'm in a different spot. I'm not in my RV and I'm working to overcome that. So I've already kind of talked to my guests and said, Hey, listen, we're going to have fun together here. So, uh, so anyway, I'm glad you're here. We're going to have all the notes and resources from this episode on the website. Make sure you check out seekgocreate.com. Today we have Clifton Corbin as our guest. He is a registered financial consultant and he's combined his MBA experience managing million dollar budgets and his understanding of econo economics and personal finance into building a financial education system and community for parents and their children a lot of other stuff with his resume but clifton welcome to seek go create thanks so much tim i really appreciate it yeah i'm so glad you're here and you're coming to us from toronto toronto ontario yeah that's right wow well i'm in the atlanta area so we're two different worlds even though I'm probably close to almost due south from you maybe you're south of me i'm i'm jealous of the heat you're probably getting that i'm not yeah i got a got a little bit of warmth today. in fact we had a warm shower here they were recording this in february so uh people might be listening into it later but clifton glad you're here let's do this exercise one of my first questions i like to ask people that we just bump into each other which you and i have i've done some research <laughs> on you and uh, and I want to know more about you. And I ask you what you do. If I say, what do you do, Clifton? What do you tell people when they ask? Sure. I, I, I'll, I'll be honest. For a while, I struggled with that question. Uh, once I left the office, I was like, okay, do I say I'm a stay-at-home dad? Then I wrote my book. I'm like, do I say I'm an author? And I was like, I don't like either of those. <laughs> what I do is I advocate for financial literacy. I'm uh, very passionate about making sure young people have the the skills that they need to manage their money and be confident with their money before they need it, before they become young adults. So I call myself a financial literacy advocate. Uh, and to do that, I create products, uh, resources, uh, and I do talks like this. Yeah. And we're excited to have you here because it's a topic that you know, I don't know if it's we avoid it. I don't know if we just ignore it. I mean, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But I want to I want to back up. Why do you think it is that men struggle with the stay at home, um, <laughs> stay at home dad identity? What does that do for our identity? I mean, did it mess with you when you didn't have a quote unquote title and office job to go to? It was, it's interesting. So my wife and I, when we started having our kids, we, we said at an early point, like we wanted to have a parent at home. We both had that growing up and we kind of wanted to provide that for our kids. And we joke often that it was kind of a race to the bottom because we're like, whoever's making the least amount of money when we're going to make that jump, they're the one who's staying home. So we joked about that, but we kind of always knew it was going to be me just because I'm more the entrepreneurial one. I'm the one who's more creative uh, with finding ways to maximize my time without those set 
you know, regulated, you know, tasks and duties of a, of a, you know, full-time job. So I always knew it was going to be, be me, but when it became time to be the stay-at-home dad, you're right. It, you know, our jobs are our identities. Uh, We, we have those things that we, like, it's easy to say, you know, I am an engineer, I'm a business consultant, I'm an author, what have you. But when you say I'm a stay-at-home dad, the question is, well, what do you do? And it's the same thing that stay-at-home moms have been having for years, where it's like, well, you're just staying at home watching, you know, soap operas and, and waiting until the kids get home. And I was like, well, there's tons of stuff. I just stopped the washer and dryer right before recording this call. So there's a lot of things that are happening. And in addition to that, I am also, at, you know, doing the financial literacy advocacy. But I I go back to what right before I left the the office, um, I was being kind of trained up for a managerial position, and I remember my manager at the time saying, you know, I you are my like she it was a mentor mentee relationship. It was wonderful, and I remember her saying very specifically, like in a year from now, I hope you have a mentee like like you are to me, and I thought if I leave this job, I'm losing those opportunities, and that was kind of hard for me to to kind of reconcile with because. I wanted to be able to help bring up younger talent and all the rest, especially as a black male. I felt like that was actually a very, you know, critical part to make sure, you know, we're adding diversity and adding extra voices and different voices to these, you know, different roles. So it was something that I I identified with and then to let it go, it was hard for me at the beginning just to accept it. But since leaving, uh, you know, those full-time roles, I found lots of opportunities to give back and support the communities that I'm in. So I, I, you know, it took a little while to get used to it, but I now I hold the title proudly. Well, if we need to pause in a little while so you can move the clothes from the washing machine to the dryer, just let me know because I have compassion for that. I do all our laundry (laughs) also. It is fascinating. I'm, I'm always amazed by the identities. It's one of the reasons why I asked that question. It's one of my first questions I asked is like, what do you do? Because you could really learn a lot about people when you ask that question. Now, the the second part of the question, you said you hesitated to call yourself an author. Why is that? Um, Same reason, right? Like it's, it's so another challenge I have, and that's just a personal thing. I love to learn. I love how your 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 podcast is, you know, seek go create because I like to create. Like I love learning. I'm uh, I'm a self learn learner in a lot of different subjects, right? So if there's something I want to do, I usually dive deep into it, learn it at some level, and then I'll move on to something else. So, you know, I never. I never went seeking to be an author, um, but I had something inside of me that I felt like I needed to share. So I wrote the book uh, and I'm, you know, writing other materials as well, but I never really identified as an author. It wasn't something I went, I went after. I was like, I wrote something, but I guess I am writing something. I'm now an author, but it's similar to anything else, right? Like I learned how to play the bass guitar. I love cooking, but I wouldn't call myself a chef. I love, you know, making drinks, but I wouldn't call myself a bartender. Like there's all these different facets of me that I, I know I spent time on. I developed, I try to hone and make, you know, better, but I don't necessarily identify with any one of those things. I am, you know, I'm a full person and it's like anyone else, right? Like you are a podcaster, but do you identify solely as a podcaster? Of course not. You know, there's so much more to you. Like I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a friend, I'm all these other things as well. So it's always hard for me to, when I get asked that question, it's like, well, it's almost like which one of my multitude of identities do I want to talk about or explore or divulge in this moment? 
Uh, and it's it's always like uh, that's why I'm looking forward to this conversation because it's it's about talking about the whole person. It's about talking about all the different aspects, and that's why you know, am I an author? Like sometimes I would lead with I'm a stay at home dad, and I'm fine with that. Like that's as far as the conversation may go. But you know, I have written a book, and I'm planning on writing more, and I have done all these other things. So what am I? I'm I'm a person. <laughs> yeah, human. Yeah, and it's kind of one of the reasons why I enjoy. You know, we redefining success is something that's a, kind of a foundation here. And I think the root of it goes back to when I would say I'm a business person. And then we went through some financial failure after the 08 uh, downturn. And I really didn't know what to describe myself as. And so for the longest on my, you know, and now we have these things on social media and we have, I, I actually, it seems as if there's a bit of identity crisis. I don't think this is controversial, but you know, we, it's like everyone's wanting to be called certain things, you know, pronouns or, or titles or, or whatever. And I'm almost going the anti, almost like, just call me Tim mm -hmm. <laughs> or well, I, mean, I don't, I don't mean that to be controversial. You know what I'm saying? It's no, like, I know what you mean. Like, how do you comprise a person into a title? So similarly, like one of the, like, and we all have, you know, in a conversation like this, so, you know, someone will ask me, like, send me your bio. And I was like, okay, sure. Here's my bio. But, you know, I say I was a business consultant. I'm still doing business consulting. I'm still helping people grow their businesses. It's still something I'm passionate about. But right now I'm focusing on, you know, the financial literacy advocacy. And if I chose to go back to something else or pick up something else, like I, I hear what you're saying. And it's one of those things I talk about, especially with young people, when we start talking about, you know, picking their careers or, you know, the question we get asked so often or we ask young people so often is like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, well, that's a trap of a question, right? Like how, how can you put that much pressure on a person when you and I, as adults, we don't know what we want to be when you grow up. So still... even, yeah, we're all still trying to figure it out. So even that question. So I've been telling, I've been trying to push for like, instead of saying, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because again, that's a question that you might ask, you know, a young person who's thinking about higher education or the first jobs or what they want to do. I, I say, well, change it to what do you want to do for the next two to five years? Like, what's something you think you would enjoy doing for two to five years, knowing full well that after two years or five years or more or less, you can pivot. But something that you can do for for a couple of years, you'll love it. It'll be, it'll bring you joy. It'll bring you some, you know, some, maybe some financial resources, and then you can pivot and move to something else because we all look, there's so many facets to each of us. So it's, uh, yeah, you're Tim, I'm Clifton. <laughs> yeah. Two guys just chit-chatting. Well, the reason I think this is somewhat pertinent to this conversation is that parents, because we're still in the process ourselves we have not arrived even though there's this perception at times that oh you know you're 20 30 40 59 years old like me it's like you have arrived where you're going in life no I'm I am not, not only am I still figuring it out I'm mobile living in an RV travel mm -hmm. so I'm not even fixed and I think that that could be one of the root issues within turning around to the next generation turning around to children I've got grandchildren now and saying this is how you need to do it because we're still figuring it out ourselves and we feel almost like a hypocrite mm -hmm. by by telling it. What are some other 
challenges, especially with this financial, I do want to let the audience know we're not going to get into explaining where babies come from. That's not the purpose of this conversation, unless you just want to. I and mean, that's really not what I'd rather do because <laughs> I'm nervous <laughs> thinking about that. Just, but let's, let's talk, let's talk money. What are some of the things, how, how have we gotten to where we are now to where there is really what I would consider, um, a tragic epidemic of financial illiteracy in the culture that we're in today. I don't know if you would say it that way, but I mean, I just, I just don't see, I, I see adults where we try to have a conversation about money and it's very difficult to do it, which then lets me know that there wasn't any conversation coming along. Where, where are we at right now? Mm -hmm. Sorry. Could you ask again? I missed what you heard. Well, where, where are we at now with this topic of financial literacy? Because it seems as if we haven't done well. Sorry, I'm breaking up a little bit there, Tim. Oops, sorry about that. I don't know if no, that was I don't, I'm not sure. It might, it might be on my side. I'm not sure what happened there. So, uh, let me just, I think I've got my Wi-Fi. Sorry, just give me one second there. That's fine. One, two, three, one, two, three. You got me? Yeah, that's a bit better. I just switched from my Wi-Fi to, uh, okay, that should be better. Perfect. Sorry about right. that. Right. That's okay. I tell you what I'm going to do uh, for those doing the edit. I'm going to do three, two, one and do a clap to know that we may need to edit out about 20, sure. 30 seconds before this. So three, two, one. So let me ask, how have we gotten to where we are now? Why are we so financially illiterate? Because I talk to adults, people in the business world that and and myself at times are just not financially liter uh, literate. So why are we where we are? It's a good question. And it, it's partially to do with, you know, it's not something money is still a very, you know, taboo subject, like people are not comfortable talking about money. Money has never really been taught. Like when I talk about money, I mean, personal finance, financial literacy, it's not something that's been taught in schools. Um, it's starting to creep into the, the education system, but still not on a large enough scale to actually help. And then on top of that, it's a complicated subject, right? Like if we're talking about money, we're talking about when should we borrow? When should we, what type of insurance should we have? How much should we save for a retirement? How much should we put into a 401k? Like there's a lot of moving pieces. And unless you're really spending time to focus in on what you need to do. And again, the other part of it is a very individualized uh, subject. So what works for you isn't going to work for me. So there's a lot of moving pieces and the information you might get is either too generic or too specific. So it requires a little bit of time and effort to kind of figure out what makes the most sense for you. Uh, and again, considering that you're not going to be able to get most of that information from our school system, it really requires you to do it on an individual basis to kind of like pick up the pick up the information that you need for yourself, whether that's going to, you know, a financial advisor, taking courses online, reading books, but it really requires individuals to take the the lead with, regard, with regards to actually educating themselves, which is a little bit different than a lot of the other things that we typically do around ourselves where we, you know, we get the information. It might be generic, but it works for, you know, the masses where this is a very specific subject. And on top of that, like I said, with that taboo, with that, that feeling of this isn't something I could talk about with, you know, my friends or my family, you put all that together and you're left in a situation where the information is just not coming to you in a way that you can use it and apply it. So it's a challenge. It's a big challenge. One of the things that I'm trying to do is just encourage more people to talk about money. I think what will happen, what you'll find is if you're talking about it, other people around you probably want to have that conversation with you, but we're so 
we're so in our heads about it that we're afraid to talk about it or similar to what we we're saying at the at the top of this conversation we identify so much with how much we have or what we show or what people perceive of us. Like if you perceive me to have it all figured out and then I come and tell you or have a conversation with you saying, I'm, I don't know what to do about my debt. I don't know how to get this under control. It could be hard for me to even broach that subject because I don't want you to perceive me any differently. But if we can open up some of these conversations, if we can have some more uh, transparency with regards to our money, I think what will happen is we'll just, the financial literacy will increase uh, exponentially the more we can talk about it. But if we don't talk about it, it's like anything else, right? If you keep a subject under the under the radar, you just don't get to learn about it. You don't get to talk about it. You're just not learning what you need to know. So I think it's a combination of factors, but yeah, that's that'd be my take on it. Yeah, it's, it's real interesting. I remember when I was coming along, I was at Georgia Tech and they used to have, at some point they would have outside people that had been out working for a while come in to speak to us probably close to when we were graduating and things like that. And I was extremely money driven at the time. And I remember the person would come in talking. I really wanted to know one thing. I want to know how much money they made. Mm -hmm. I want to know what their salary was. And so I remember a couple of times I would just shoot my hand up and say, Hey, what, how much do you make? you know, you've been out working two years, you're in a similar field that we're going into what it, you know, and it would always be this little dance. And then finally, I think one of the professors that oversaw that kind of said, you know, we don't, we don't really want to get into those type things. I'm going to do, we're about to graduate. I've, I've spent six years to get this four year degree. <laughs> I was right there with you. I'm I, in the I, same want, boat. I want to know how much, you know, but, uh, but I think that goes to kind of the taboo and and you know what are salaries what do people make what's their debt things like that one thing i want to go ahead and get kind of out in the open here early on clifton is there are people you brought up the school system so i'll go ahead and go there there are people that may have a thought that if i'm sending my children to school they should teach this stuff now there's a mindset there that we may need to address of who's really educating your children. We, we can go there or not, but what do you say to someone who says that? They're not. Um... No, they're not. <laughs> we know that it's obvious. <laughs> so if, so here's the thing. Financial literacy is not yet in the school in any meaningful way. And I, I can say that for most of North America, it's coming into the school system, but not enough, I think, to truly prepare your child for what they will need. Now, even if it was, I would still, and I think this is kind of where you're going with that, you still are responsible for educating your child. And for something like money, where there's not just, it's not just how you spend it, it's not just how you earn it. There's also values and principles that we as individuals attach to how we use our money and what we use our money for that you're not going to get through the school system. And if you're talking about money, if you're talking about how to use money in a school where it's one teacher to let's say 20, 30 students, that's a that's gonna be a very generic conversation and it might not necessarily even apply to your child. So let's say you have a teacher and they're talking about the need to uh, let's say donate. Well, maybe you don't resonate with that. Maybe you do. Hopefully you do. Uh, but let's say they're talking about, you know, how you should have an allowance so that you can practice using money. Well, maybe your family doesn't have the money in their budget to do an allowance. So that conversation that you're going to get in that very generic classroom setting isn't what your child needs. They need that individualized attention 
that you can provide them as their parent or guardian. You know your values. You know whether you want to donate and how much you want to donate and why you donate what you do. You know how you feel about spending and saving and insuring and building wealth. And those values that you have as an individual, as a family, can only get to your child if you're the one who's talking to them about it. Moreover, hoping that someone else provides this life skill to your child is just dangerous, right? Like we need to make sure that our our, our children are fully prepared to be the young adults that we hope they are. Like our, our, our goal, we've heard this before, we're not raising children, we're raising adults. We're trying to prepare our children to become young, hopefully successful, hopefully well-adjusted young people, young adults. One of the skills they'll need absolutely need is how to manage money, how to feel confident and comfortable managing money in a way that will benefit them. So this is just another one of the skills that we need to teach, just like we need to teach them how to make sure they're, they're feeding themselves with proper nutrition. It's it's a basic life skill that we need to make sure we're giving them. And as things change, you know, we're going a little bit more cashless, things are changing, but the fundamentals don't change. Like you, some of those core things as far as making sure you're living on less than you make and making sure that, you know, you're putting some money away for an emergency, some of those cores don't change. So, but if our kids aren't seeing it from us, if they're not hearing it from us, if they're not learning it from us, they may never learn it or they may learn it, but it might be after they've made some, some, uh, some missteps along the way, which is kind of my story in that, like, I learned a lot of this on my own, a little, some of it a little bit too late. So I ended up diving into debt uh, with credit cards in my, uh, in my early 20s because I didn't really know how to manage them. Uh, had I learned that earlier, I could have avoided some of that and I could have set myself up even more so for success. So it's really about making sure our kids are learning how to do these things and building these skills and habits before they need them. Yeah, the, I was just actually thinking as you were talking about, and this is years ago, probably late 70s when I was coming along through school, I did learn how to sew a button on, I'm talking about life skills. I think I learned how to mend a sock. I don't know that I could do that today. I don't know that I would do that today. And I think I learned how to build a birdhouse. So uh, so I'm prepared, you know, you know, nothing about a checkbook or any of that kind of stuff back back in those days. And it sounds like that's actually still the case. You know what? An another thing that popped in my mind yesterday, I was on the treadmill and I was listening to an interview with with Ray Dalio, who uh, was the um, head of Bridgewater. He's written, you know, principles and all that. And it's interesting, Clifton, he was talking about that he started investing in the stock market at the age of 12. Oh, wow. And you just brought it up. I was actually about to transition and ask a little bit about your background and some things about you growing up. I think about some things that, uh, you know, I've had to overcome related to money and finances and my money mindset and also just practical things. But I was just fascinated thinking about, and, you know, some would say he's, you know, one of the premier investors with the funds he's run for since I guess the late seventies, eighties and all, he just recently retired, but, but what, what growing up, you mentioned it, you said you got into debt and things like that back up a little bit, give a little bit of your background so we can kind of know how you've come to this being a passion of yours. Sure. So I actually consider myself very fortunate in that both my parents were very open and transparent with me with regards to money from an early age. So I'm actually just advocating for parents to do something similar 
But the challenge I had is when I was growing up, I was very attuned to earning money. I was fair as one of those kids, you know, the paper out, the lemonade stand, all the early jobs. So acquiring money was very high on my list uh, and saving it. I was also, you know, I was in had the saving account in the 80s and 90s where interest rates were similar to what we have now, only higher. So saving wasn't a challenge for me. Uh, where things kind of, like I said, fell off the rail is I only had those two pieces. I had earning and I had saving. I didn't really have a rationale for why you want to do either of those two. So no talk about wealth creation and what wealth can do for you with regards to financial independence and financial security. No talk about making sure that you're securing your wealth with, like I said, insurance or what have you. No talk about managing debt and how you can both leverage debt to acquire assets or you know, mess up your credit score by buying stuff that's frivolous stuff on a credit card. So my my financial literacy education was very fractured. Like I said, I talked about earning, saving, and that's kind of where the conversation ended. And while I was lucky in that I was able to have those conversations with my parents, I needed more. And that's kind of where things kind of fell off the rails with me in that when I did get off and get out onto my own and I got those early credit cards and I was like, oh, you know, credit cards are for emergencies. And then they weren't just for emergencies. They were also for, you know, fun nights out on the town. And then, wait a minute, I'm supposed to pay this back, but it felt like free money. And all of those silly, stupid things that I thought at an early age, like I said, it, it set me way, way back in that, like I had all this credit debt that I wasn't paying off on a regular basis. And it totally ruined my credit score and it totally like I said it set me back um but it was in paying that off and figuring out okay so this is how the system works and here are all the other pieces like I mentioned of the financial literacy picture that I didn't have access to but I should have and if I had that I would have been in a better place and as as I recognized that, that's when I started to say, okay, well, how do I make sure that other young people are getting these pieces? How do I make sure that parents aren't just talking about, you know, go to school, get a good job and make money, but why do you need to have money in the first place? What's the what's the end goal, right? Like money is a means to an end, but it's not the ends. It's, you know, making sure that you're financially secure and making sure that you've got your, your needs met, but actually having a conversation about needs and wants also has to be part of that piece. So that's kind of how it started. It was me having some of the picture, but not the full picture, really messing up on one piece of it and then coming out of it and saying, okay, what are all the other pieces? And then realizing that and trying to come up with a way where I could provide that to other parents. Because like I said, I really feel like the need is to make sure that young people have this before they need it. So if I can do that in any way, hopefully, you know, whether it's with credit, whether it's with, you know, we all know that what you were mentioning investing a moment ago, there's an advantage to investing at an early age, right? Like you could you could really max out that compounding of interest. So doing all of these things and learning all of these things earlier really helps to set you up. So that's why I really want to focus on those earlier ages, because if you could have this going into the workforce, then you're just that much more uh, prepared and much more confident. That's the other piece of it too, that I, I don't think enough people talk about. Like we talk about how money isn't talked about. It's a big cause of stress and anxiety when you don't feel like you have control over your money, when you feel like your money's controlling you and you're, you know, you look at your, your bank account at the end of the month and you're like, well, where did all the money go? But you've never been told how to make a budget or what a budget can do for you or any of these other pieces. So it's not just about knowing what to do. It's about feeling good and feeling confident and feeling comfortable with your situation. Uh, I think that's a huge part of it. And I know that whether you're younger, older, you know, you're about to retire, wherever, 
wherever you are on the spectrum, you want to feel like you've got your money handled. It's in a place that you feel comfortable and you can do whatever it is that you want to do. Obviously, you won't be able to do everything you want to do, but knowing what you can do is is a, a great stress reliever. And that's the other piece of it that I really want to make sure, especially our young people who are, you know, they're entering in the workforce and, you know, they get those first paychecks and it can feel, it can feel very exhilarating, but there's things that need to happen with those first paychecks to really set yourself up. One thing that I noticed about myself that I believe I've learned, hopefully, is that I would do similar to what you were talking about. I would, and to me, it falls into the category of spending more than you make, more than you're making. That's the credit card trap uh, that happens. You think that this is easy money, or for my, in my sake, situation, being a entrepreneur, business guy, I always had this thought that I was going to be making more money in the future. That's a very dangerous place to be when you're actually spending money currently. But I, I think there was this bigger issue, and this is going to kind of lead into, I think, the conversation with you and the book and things like that is, I wonder if I really would have listened to my parents. Hmm. And here's the reason why. And I think this, I think this is something that goes through the parents' mind too. So let's go ahead and get this out in the open here. Both my parents were teachers, educators, great people. I didn't realize we were poor until mm. I asked them one time how much money we made. And when I found out, I went, Ooh, I was going to be a teacher and a coach. And I, I think I want to do something different now, <laughs> even though I've got teaching and coaching in my genes, you know? And so I, think at that point, I was probably like a lot of teenagers, just kind of arrogant. I could figure it out on my own and things like that. Do you have any advice for the parent that might be going, I don't know that I have the credibility mm -hmm. to communicate. I mean, I've, I struggle myself and they know we've struggled. You know, they, they know that we struggle with money. We try not to, but how do I have the credibility to educate my children about money? I like to say, you know, <laughs> you know more than they know, right? So that's the benefit. Like you already know more than they know. So by talking to them about money and talking about finances and talk, they like you have knowledge that they don't have. You may not feel confident in all of the aspects of it, but you know more than they know. So by, and if you feel like you need to know more, this is your golden opportunity to start educating yourself. So I, I often say like, if you don't feel like you've got your money under control, this is the chance to say, okay, I'm going to start learning. And like, we're all learning. I'm still learning. I'm sure you're still learning. So take it as an opportunity to learn more about what you don't know. But talk to them about the things you do know. You do know what it's like to earn money. You do know what it's like not to have money. You do know what it's like to get that first job, maybe to lose the first job. To like, There's so many lessons and so many stories from your personal life that is a wealth of information that your child couldn't possibly know because they're just too new to the world to know it. So I hear you and I, I, I empathize in that. If you feel like you're not, you know, you're not strong with this one subject, you may feel a bit of hesitancy to talk to a child about it. 
but you're doing them a disservice. You're like what the legacy you're leaving behind. And I don't mean to say this in, in a derogatory way, but you're leaving a legacy of ignorance behind. Like you're not doing the things that you need to, to make sure that your child is informed and educated. And like I said, if you don't think you know enough, this is your opportunity to learn more. And as I said, again, at the top of the conversation, part of the problem with financial literacy in general is just that we have to take it upon ourselves to learn what we need to know for our individual situations. So if you are, let's say, an RVer, what you need to do to make sure you're you're covering your expenses is very different than I might need to do as a homeowner. But you need to figure out what makes sense for you. I need to figure out what makes sense for me. And then we need to relay that to our child and say, hey, listen, these are our expenses. This is how you know we budget. This is how we get our income. This is how we're making sure we're building our wealth. This is how you know I'm paying down this debt that I owe. The good, the bad, the ugly, we have to let them know how the world works, and money is such a huge part of that. Now, I don't want you to burden them with any stress or anxiety you might have about the money that you have, but you can, again, you can use these uh, these conversations that you're having with your child as opportunities to, again, teach and educate yourself if that's what you need. Um, but I, I hear that. I hear that often, right? Like, I don't feel very comfortable with my money. How am I going to have this conversation with, mm. you know, my son, my daughter, my child, what have you? And the answer is really, you know more than they do. You you know, you know what it's like to have. You know what it's like not to have. And those conversations is what are what your child needs to have. Yeah, and I, and one of the things that I like, one of the reasons that we're having this conversation is I believe that you've got books and some resources that will help. We'll get to that in just a moment. I've got one more. I kind of call it a big picture question before we get. I'm going to actually ask you to give some tips, some some ideas and I'll do some teaching for people that may be listening in wanting to start these conversations. I, it seems to me as if one of the answers would be to just put money in our top three, four, five things that we keep in front of us, because I've noticed that many people just kind of do the clever their ears, cover their eyes, blah, blah, blah. And, and, that's not a good thing. I mean, there was a period of time that I did that when things were really ugly. But the second part of that, Clifton, and you could address that after I ask this kind of bigger question is that I've been told and I observe that at times we do have some cultural issues when we talk about money. Mm -hmm. I grew up, I, I guess, middle class-ish, white, you know, outside of Atlanta, I've heard that there's some different cultural things and, and I hate to generalize because that's not a good thing to do, but we're, we're going to do it a little bit, uh, you know, in an African-American or black family, there may be some issues that are dealt with there because of some generational things. I also know that when all of a sudden you bring religion or church into it, they get weird about the way they deal with money too. So we could, we could go a lot of different directions, but talk just in general, or if you want to be specific about some of the advantages, different advantages of, of certain cultures when it comes to money. And, I, and I'll say one thing, going back to Ray Dalio, I realized that somehow the way he brought up, he was brought up was much different than the way I was, <laughs> the way they did it. So any, anything that you want to say, and listen, we don't shy away from, you know, some mature conversations about anything with race or anything like that here either. No, I I appreciate that. And I think you're right in that different cultures do teach and, and approach money differently. Like that's, that's, that probably doesn't even need to be said in some cultures talking about money. Like we say in general, you know, in our society, talking about money could be taboo In some subjects. It's not, it's just taboo. You don't talk about it. We don't talk about it. 
but I think there's, um, there's a big challenge there. Like you can't learn something that you can't talk about. You can't teach something that you can't talk about. And you're right when it comes to religion. And so every situation is very different, but I, I, I could feel confident in saying, regardless of your, you know, background, your cultural background, your heritage, your religion, what have you, if you can find a way to have these conversations with your children, maybe it might be harder to have these conversations with your parents, because I've seen that as well, right? Like the these each generation, it gets a little bit easier sometimes as you get further and further away from, you know, wherever that that cultural stigma may be coming from. So it might be harder, and I've experienced this as well, you know, talking to my parents about, you know, do you have your will ready? I had a much different experience than my wife when she asked the exact same question. So and that was, I think that was cultural. I think that has a bit to do with age. It has a bit to do with her gender. It has a bit to do with where she fit within the the hierarchy of all the siblings. So it was a very different conversation, but you might not be able to control that conversation, but the conversation you have with your child, you, you own that one, right? Like you get to decide how you want to speak and what you want to have conversations with, with your child. So you are in the driver's seat when it comes to that. So I get that there are cultural challenges, religious challenges, like all of that. I, I fully acknowledge that they're all there. So this conversation at the dining room table at, you know, Thanksgiving or what have you with the bigger family conversations may not be able to happen or they'll happen with a lot more <laughs> animosity and, and and frustration and all the rest. So maybe not that, but that conversation, that relationship you have with your child, you own that. And one of the things I talk about often is like, we talk so often about wanting to have open dialogue and relationships and, and, and conversations and, and lines of communications with our children. And I know parents mean that, like we want our children to come to us when they have relationship problems, if they're being bullied on the playground, if they're struggling in school, we need them to tell us that because we only have so much line of sight into what's happening into their life. Now, if they come to us and try to talk to us about money and we say, nope, we're not talking about that. Well, we've put up a wall. We've cut that line of communication off. And if we really want them to come to us when it comes to relationships, when it comes to, you know, school or what have you, but they don't feel like they can come to us with regards to money, they may not feel like they can come to us with regards to anything. So I really, I really want to encourage parents to be able to have these conversations, especially if your children are coming to you with questions and you're having those conversations in an honest, transparent, open way, you're building the communication, you're building the relationship, you're showing that you trust them and they are realizing that they can come to you. So while I acknowledge that there can be cultural challenges with having these conversations, you own the conversation, you own the relationship with your child. And by doing, by having these conversations, by having conversations that like, one of the things I like to say is run towards the conversations that make you feel uncomfortable. If you can have those conversations, things get better, whatever it is. Like if you're feeling uncomfortable talking about money with your partner, your, your spouse, your child, run towards that and have those you will recognize there are some things maybe you need to work out with a therapist. Maybe there's some things you need to work out on your own. doesn't matter, but that's growth. That's recognizing that there's things that you can do to become better and more comfortable in your life, relieve stress, relieve anxiety. So run to that. And just in general, like you own that conversation with your, your child, you own that relationship. So take advantage of that. You may not be able to do it with your parents, but that's okay. You can do it with your child. Yeah. I like the philosophy of, okay, so let's just say for whatever reason, cultural, 
your your family, whatever, you know, at our church, we don't talk about it or whatever. It's, it's kind of get started. It's somewhere along the way you wrote the book, Your Kids, Their Money. And and I'm guessing, and I'm hopeful here, we could t- kind of talk about some resources and all. Tell us about the book. The title is interesting to me. Your Kids, Their Money. Where'd that come from? So I wish I could own it, but that was my editor. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Good for editors. I have to give credit where credit is due. But as soon as he said it, I was like, that's exactly what I, that's, that's the concept of the book. It's like, and it kind of goes back to what we were just saying. Like, it's your kids. We need to support our kids. But at some point they're going to own the money. They're going to have to be able to, they're going to be responsible for the money. So this is a chance for us to help our kids with their money again, before they need it. So you're right. The book was written again as a uh, kind of a guide to help parents with these conversations, to help guardians with these conversations, to help adults have these conversations and recognize, okay, it can't just be about going to school and getting a good job. We also need to talk about wealth and why that's so important. Sometimes wealth can kind of seem like a dirty word, especially when, you know, we have, you know, billionaires and multi-billionaires can feel like wealth is a bad thing but wealth is not a bad thing wealth is just the money that you have saved in your account and that gives you options and we need to be able to talk about that so the book is written it's it's written as a guidebook so you can really jump in anywhere if you if if you're curious about how to talk to your kids about taxation there's a chapter for that if you want to talk about debt there's a chapter for that but it's also written kind of as a bit of a, a guide along my life as well and it talks about you know how acquiring money and, and and then managing debt and then also you know the fortunate part that I'm in in my life now where I can start giving back and being very appreciative for what I have and you know talking to kids about having appreciation and 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 giving back to the community and all these other things so it's written as a guidebook where you could jump anywhere but you could also read it end to end and you know you get a bit of the story arc of what's happened in my life so far so is it is it for parents and you know, I, I think I know the answer to this, but let's just say someone sitting here saying, when should I get started sure. with this? Um, so who who's it for? And then I want to ask some very specific tips and 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 all for, for someone listening in. Sure. No, it's definitely for parents. Um, like I said, my goal is to help parents broach these conversations and have these conversations. It's got all the resources, in my opinion, most of the resources you'll need to have the conversation and then to take some of these things to your child. So let's say you want to dive a little deeper in a certain subject. There's maybe some activities you could do with them or, or maybe a picture book that you could read with them. Or so it kind of gets into each subject, gives you a rundown of what you might want to say, what you might need to know, how you can have that conversation in a relatable way with your child. Um, And it's given, and I, I throw a lot of my stories in there as well. I don't think I've given any of those stories in this conversation. So all fresh stuff, hopefully for anyone listening, but has a lot of stories in there about stuff that's happened in my life as well, so that you can, you know, kind of see how it applies and how I've applied it in my life. Yeah, so oh, so let's go. Your second question. You did have a second question. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off there, but you did say, when do you want to start? And yeah, I said, when? Yeah, what's, yeah. The, what's the timing? It's like, is it too late? Is it too early? Or what? what's, what's best practices? 
it's never either. It's never too late. It's never too early. So when I say never too early, okay, maybe when you have an infant, maybe that's too early. But once your youngster starts recognizing, you know, money is a thing that's being traded and, and transferred to acquire goods and services, or they start asking for things, it's a good time to start having these early conversations. And, you know, you're not going to be talking about uh, insurance and wealth creation at that age, but you could start talking about, you know, what is money? How do I get money? Like I have money. How did I get the money? I was working for it and it got into my bank account to so have those early conversations with the youngsters. And then as they get older, my hope is that you're giving your child an access to some funds, hopefully a budget of some sort, so they can start practicing some of these uh, these best habits and best practices that we're talking about. So maybe they're managing a clothing budget or a lunch budget or something so that eventually they, so again, they're, they're getting a chance to practice what we're talking about here uh, so they can use it once they become uh, young adults. Yeah, you mentioned when they're young, I actually thought back to we're grandparents now, so it's a totally different thing for us. But one of the things that we actually noticed with our daughter, who is our oldest, that she was extremely money motivated at a young mm -hmm. age. In fact, we taught her, we did potty training with her with nickels. She She would go to the potty, get a nickel, and pretty soon she was potty trained our son second child he not as interested and all that and i don't know if that was a good thing or not <laughs> that we did but it you know it allowed us to have the conversations and and things like that let's walk through in the time we've got here clifton let's just walk through i, I don't know if it's a plan i don't know if it's a get started i don't know if i don't know what you might want to do but let's let's just do, and we're going to recommend people get the book and go check out some of your resources we'll mention all that in a little while but uh, let's just kind of say someone is listening in and they're going, dang, we've messed up. We need to get started. Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. are some good get started steps or techniques or, or, or things that people can do, a parent could do? That's great. And you mentioned that your grandfather, I've had a lot of grandparents say they enjoy the book as well. But to answer your question, I would say one of the best things you could do is give your child an opportunity to practice what we're talking about. Give them an opportunity to practice saving, donating, uh, transacting, just managing money in general. So if you've got young kids, an allowance is a great way of doing that. Um, if you don't have money in your budget, and I, I try to preface this conversation always with, you know, personal finance is personal first. So what works most for you may not work for me, but if you have the money in your budget to give an allowance, I would recommend that. I just think that having a child having access to money to kind of practice some of the th these things really helps. It goes a long way. Um, if there isn't money in your uh, in your budget for the allowance, see it kind of like what I was talking about for the older ones, see if you can carve out some money that you were going to spend on the child anyway and have them manage it. So let's say it's a breakfast budget. So you go to the grocery store, you're going to spend X amount of money on, on breakfast. Say here, I want you to buy the breakfast foods for this week. This is how much we need. And then again, they're managing a budget. They're working within a budget. They're getting a chance to practice. Um, another thing I like to say is if all possible, it's kind of what we're doing right here, just having conversations. Like I never want uh, parents to feel like they need to, you know, get gather the children around, you know, the fireplace and have a lecture about personal finance and financial literacy. That's not what I'm recommending. I like how you put it earlier, like have it top of mind. So when those natural moments come up in your day to day, 
you just have a conversation about it. You talk about it. You know, you go to the grocery store and you're paying $2 more for an item than you did the week before and your child is there and you could say, wow, why do you think this is so much more expensive? Maybe you're talking about inflation, supply chain, uh, cost versus demand. Do we really need this thing versus do we just want this thing? Like a lot of conversations can be had just as you're walking down the aisle or while you're walking by a shop. So have those conversations and just, you know, like I said, make them part of your every day uh, so that your kids are just in the mindset of thinking about what they could be doing, what they should be doing. And if you can give them opportunities to manage their own money, that will also help. So you, if you could do the two together, um, I think it's a winning strategy where you're having conversations about money mm-hmm. while they're also getting a chance to practice using money. Then you're, now you're, you're just, you're stacking learning on top of learning with regards to it being too late. I don't think it's ever too late. Cause what I'm talking about here is, you're trying to, you know, those younger ages, you're really trying to teach, you're trying to like get them to learn the different steps. But as they get older, you want to be their advisor. You want to help them uh, just get a deeper understanding of some of these things. So again, if you have a, a teen or uh, or someone in there about to, you know, let's say move off into uh, on their own, if you give them a budget to manage, if they don't already have it, this is a chance for them again, to practice these skills it's never too late and it's never too late to be an advisor to uh to a young person to say hey if you have questions about this or just to go to them and say i remember when i was your age and i got my first job and tell them what you did maybe it was all the right things maybe it was all the wrong things but through that that story that you're going to you're going to give there's a chance for a little bit of learning a little bit of questioning a little bit of uh just communing uh over a subject of money and personal finance so it's never too late Uh, But you do need to be open to having these discussions. You need to show that you're willing to have these conversations. And it can be hard if you're not comfortable talking about money right now. It can be a challenge. But I think there's so much value there that you will get and your child or children will get from that as well. So you brought up something earlier about the allowance that I, I know some people, especially in my generation, get a little squirmy with allowance versus work what um but you use the word allowance which many will say that's just kind of giving money but I, but do you put any requirements to it at what point do we would you tie in work with some of this or earning and you know like i brought up my daughter obviously she went to the bathroom got nickels but i don't know if the, but but what about the allowance versus having them do some work for that money sure so again just going to repeat myself a little bit it really depends on you. My mm. outcome here is to give your child the opportunity to practice using money. That's what I care about more than how you do it. But best practice, in my opinion, is not to tie it to work. Mm. The reason for that is because, again, since my goal, my overall goal is to give your child an opportunity to practice using money, if they don't do the allowance, then they don't get the, or sorry, if they don't do the chore, then they don't get the allowance. Now they don't get an opportunity to practice using money. It's similar to if you, let's say you have your child is in piano lessons or, or soccer. If they don't do the chore, 
if you keep them from piano lessons, then that makes sense. But if you would say, no, you're going to piano lesson, even if, you know, your socks are still on the floor. Well, it's because you want them to learn that skill. You want them to learn that habit. And I would argue that, you know, learning how to use money in a healthy way is more important than learning how to play the piano. So the reason I don't like tying it to chores is because I want children to have the opportunity to use and practice using money. There's other reasons too, with regards to, you know, external versus, sorry, intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation and what happens when, you know, let's say you do tie it to chores and they stop doing the chore. Do you, what do you do now? Because you still need the chore to get done and they don't care about the money. Let's say they've got their first job. Now, what do you do? Right. So it, it comes, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pay for chore trap things that can kind of come up there. Uh, all that said, because I know I, I agree with you. There's a lot of people who are like, no, nope, it has to be tied to work. I'm not giving away free money. And I get that. And if that's how you feel, if you feel strongly about that, I am fine with that because what I care more about more than the, is it chores? Is it not chores? Is are they getting an opportunity to practice using money? Mm-hmm. The other piece of this is I feel like we want to, you know, teach good work ethic and all these other things, but what happens again, when your child doesn't do the chore, it's not like you can fire them. Right. So you kind of lose that leverage that you think you have over them if they choose that they don't want the money. Right. If as soon as they're like, you know what, keep your money. I don't want it. Then you've lost your leverage and the chore still needs to get done. So it really does come up to a lot of like a lot of headache when you start tying the two together. And really those first jobs that they'll get, you know, the first job at the fast food restaurant or what have you, they'll learn the work ethic. They'll find out quickly what happens when you don't show up to work on time. Like that, like, cause or those first jobs, managers have no problem just being like, you're out of here, get, you're done. <laughs> so leave it to those, those early managers to kind of set them straight. You could still, again, you're still there to guide them, coach them, advise them and be like, well, maybe you need to be a little bit more prompt. Maybe we need to get you a better watch or a watch or something. I don't know. I don't know if anyone still uses a watch anymore. I'm dating myself. <laughs> uh, but that's kind of my my thought with regards to choice. But the end goal, like I said, before, above all of that, it's really about making sure your children have opportunities to practice some of these skills and some of these habits at an early age. Yeah, I think that's good. I was just chuckling, thinking about someone trying to fire their children and replace them, <laughs> which I guess could happen. Uh couple things before I have you just, you know, talk about the book as we wrap up is, well, give us a story or two about where you're at with your children. What are the ages? What are ages your children now? Sure. My oldest is 10. He'll be 11 this year. And my youngest is uh, eight going on nine. Give us a couple examples of kind of where you're at and some things you're doing with them right now. And then we'll uh, tell people where they can get the book and start wrapping up. Sure. So they're both getting an allowance um, and very similar to yours. My son, very money motivated. My daughter, less so. Uh, which is just interesting. It just, again, it, it highlights the fact that everyone's individual. And even as we're, you know, trying to teach these things, like even our children are very, very, very different. Um, one of the things that both of my kids, and I'll just give a story from this past weekend. So we were out, we're downtown and someone asked if I had any change. I never have any change on me because, you know, I'm pretty much cashless. But my son, we walked away and my son's like, hold on, hold on. And he reached into his wallet. He grabbed some change, gave it to Because the both of them, both of them are very, very motivated by donating and helping the less fortunate. And it, like, they're just, they both have these, like, great big hearts. And my daughter's the exact same way. Like, I remember she's done something similar in her past. And it's just... It warms my heart to see how as much as they're like my son is money motivated and he's got he's got uh, a baking business. He he bakes uh, like 
cakes and pies and all kinds of stuff and sells them at the farmer's market. So he actually has a source of income and he has no problem giving some of that away when it means he could help someone who has less. And my daughter's in the same boat. So when it comes to them, like I feel I feel great that they have that that huge heart. And I know that's 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 not me. That's just who they are. And I'm glad that I've been able to give them opportunities to express that part of themselves by able by giving them opportunities to donate. So it's just one story that happened and that was just this past weekend and it was it was a great sight to see. It's good. It uh, I think we could definitely agree that the world needs more givers. And so uh it would do us all well to raise up some more givers in the world. I know you've got a lot of other resources other than the book, but just go ahead and here now tell people where they could go to get some resources all that you have available. And then I've got another question or two before we finish up. Sure. Happy to. So my book is called Your Kids, Their Money. Uh, it's available on Amazon, Audible, Kindle, Barnes & Noble. Um, I've actually worked on a second book with my son. It's a revision of The Richest Man in Babylon. Uh, that's available on Amazon and Kindle. Uh, I think that's it for now. Uh, if you're looking for any resources, you can go to my website. Or if you just want to find out where the books are, you can go to my website, uh, cliftoncorbin.com. And on there, there's workbooks for kids uh, that are, the workbook is free. Uh, if you go to Clifton Corbin slash uh, book list, there's a list of books that you can get for your kids. Because one of the, for younger kids all the way up to teens, because one of the things I think really helps kids identify and resonate with some of these learnings is to read stories and to, to just to get more of this information via a story format. So I'm always trying to recommend more books to young people just so they can actually read some of this. And, and then, yeah, my blog also has a, a, quite a few resources as well. Yeah, I went over there and checked it out. We'll make sure we have links down uh, in the notes and also that people can go check all that out. So very exciting. Thank you, Clifton, for all the information. We are seek, go create here, those three words. I'm going to give you one of those words to choose over the other two. And why is my final question before I do a wrap up. So I'm very much in the creative mindset right now. I've been working on a workbook version of your kids, their monies, just so again, I can hammer some of those learnings home. Um, and I'm working on a tabletop game, uh, again, around personal finance. Again, it's, I'm, I just realized recently, sorry, I just realized recently how much I want to create. I, I feel like I, I got into a phase where I was doing a lot of, uh, you know, administrative stuff just with you know the advocacy that I've been working on and I realized it was taking me away from some of the creative pursuits that I've been uh, I've been thinking about so I've really tried to double down on some of the creation in the last little while so it's been fun it's uh it's it's energizing for me yeah, it is interesting sometimes when we get bogged down with uh what I'll call the maintenance phase of business or or things like that the minutiae how it can kind of zap our energy and how we can be so energetic when it comes to creation. Clifton, thank you. Important topic. I encourage everyone listening in to go get the resources, go check out the book. It's your kids, their money that uh, Clifton talked about. We'll have links if you need to go check it out and, and get all those resources because I do, I see it in the field that I'm in, how important it is for us to improve financial literacy. Once again, I want to remind people, everything we mentioned during this episode is going to be on the website under notes. If there's ever a resource or a link or a note or a book or anything like that, we'll have those links provided in the outline form over at seekgocreate.com. So go check that out. We do have new episodes every Monday. Until next time, continue being all that you were created to be.